This is Sean Six from the Liquid Conversations, and I'm here with who? I'm Chris from Chris Rogers and the Dirty Jams. So we are here in a unbelievably cold Portland, Maine right now, sitting outside at Gritty's. You have a show tonight, too, don't you? I do, yeah. I wish it wasn't so cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so nice here the last like week or so, or last couple of weeks, and tonight... Well, it is typical Maine. You and I both being from the same area of Maine, born in the same county, which is kind of odd. Yeah, totally. I'll start it with this. Has it been hard being a artist in the state of Maine? It can be, um, but it's also... If you think about the state of Maine, it can be. But if you're in Portland, it's actually really nice. It's pretty nurturing, I think. Uh, the community's really good in Portland. And everybody, like, I'm friends with everybody. Like, everybody is friends. It's still a small town. Yeah, it's a, it has, like, a big city vibe, but it's definitely a small town. Like, you can bike through the whole town, I think, in 10 minutes if you tried. Especially if you start at the top and go down the hill. But, you know, I, I do think that it's, if you want to be able to play every, like, usually without the pandemic this time of year starts kicking in like five days a week playing right. every every night so if you want to hone your craft it's a really good place to hone your craft and get good at what you do uh outside and then after that you kind of have to leave <laughs> to, to, to make headway but and it's funny because we were talking about this off mic but maine is not exactly the state that you would think that there's a tremendous music scene coming from I think a lot of people kind of pass over, especially when they look at New England, they don't really understand that Maine does have a vibrant music scene, and you're right at the forefront of that, it seems, right now. Yeah, you know, I think, yeah, pe- and people in Maine love to talk about how Maine has a great music scene. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it, we, we talk about it all the time, actually, especially on, like, the local radio stations and right. all that kind of stuff. And to an extent, it is really true. Uh, you know, we we're in the, an alley sort of thing right now with cobblestone streets and everything. And I can I, I play at the place we're at here. I play right. at the place across the street, and then across the street from that. And you, there's just so many places that you can play. And it is really a vibrant scene. I do think that the original music scene has suffered a little bit in the last like 10 to 15 years in in Portland. But I don't necessarily think that's anybody's fault or anything like that. It's just the the kind of the way of it but i primarily i think the cover scene is really great here that's kind of interesting because i mean you've been doing music for a while you went to berkeley been creating your own music uh been involved with a bunch of different bands at this point when you're kind of in your home area why do you think that the cover scene is doing so well and the original music kind of lags behind a little bit well, yeah, that's a great question. I think that some of it has to do with clubs closing okay, and, uh, you know, just things changing. And it's a changing landscape for sure. Right. Uh, we used to have a club that the Big Easy was what it was called. And that place was like my favorite place ever really right. to play. And now the owner of the Big Easy has a new club, Portland House of Music. And it is also incredible, but it's a little right. bit bigger. Right. And... Bigger is better, unless you're not a bigger band. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're still looking at the same ten people out there. Right, yeah. Ten people at the Big Easy seemed a lot, like a lot more people than it does. 
but you know, and you know, we have Aura now too, and that's a really right. great club. A lot of nationals come through Aura. Yeah, and and the State Theater is back too, and both of those places have really helped the original scene. Right. Uh, like we were, uh, my band was able to open for Eddie Money at Aura a few years before he passed away, and uh, like we got to open for Billy Bob Thornton's band, which uh, you know, I know what you're thinking. No, I didn't know he had a band either. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 he was such a great guy and uh, you know we have a lot of those opportunities but the thing about Portland that makes it its thing is that you can play at all these like lobster shacks and right. all these different places and of course we play our own music at at these venues too but the primary thing that we're doing there is playing covers for like 3 or 4 hours so i guess my question would be Considering that it is fairly vibrant in the area, you know, obviously maybe the national opinion isn't that Maine's like the enclave of music up and coming and stuff like that. People think of Maine, oh, it's lobster boats and, you know, I can go to the park. I can, you know, do whatever, (laughs) you know, take a picture down in, you know, a gunquit or something like that and, you know, put it on my Instagram. But what made you want to pursue music coming out of this state? Oh, I, I think for me, it didn't it didn't really matter like what state I was in. I think it just was going to happen. Right. Um, I li- we live I, when I was a really little kid. We lived in upstate New York for a little bit. And I'm I was born in Presque Isle. Like we had talked off off mic or whatever. And that's way, way, way up. Right. Up north. Northern like part of the state. Yeah. Where the men are men and the sheep are nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I want to take that. That's a good one. Um, but, you know, and it just, I kind of had at a really early age just, just kind of had music always on my mind and okay. all this kind of stuff. And for a little while, I thought maybe I'd try to be like a computer engineer or something because it sounded like it might A real make, job. Yeah. It sounded like it might make a lot of money and make my parents happy. But before I could get through high school, that ended and I decided music was the thing and my parents weren't I mean they weren't against it but they weren't they were definitely cautious about my plans um and you know I I I left Maine for a long time and I thought it I just you know it's one of those things like good good music will find the way I just got to find a way to write good music right <laughs> and then I'll be halfway there and you left Maine and and that's a weird thing for people I mean not just Maine specifically but New England in general when you leave the area the friends the locals stuff like that they're super suspect right off the get-go one they think okay you bailed out mm-hmm. you turned on us uh, why you leaving? You should have stayed here. Made your mark. Contribute to the community. Pay your taxes and be a you know a good Mainer. Yeah. And you're like, well, no, I wanted to go where I had a chance. Yeah. A job opportunity or you know a place where I could make money. But you came back. Yeah, I know. You say that, and I just get those say I, the flood of feelings come back. Like, how could I come back here? <clears throat> but and you know, and I did. I came back about. Um, I think it's about 12 years ago now and I was living in Salem at the time in Massachusetts and I just was really reluctant to come back because I did think I had been I'd gone to college and I had proclaimed myself to be you know I'm going to be this musician guy you're going to be a rock star yeah yeah and and you know at that point it hadn't been going really right. to plan you know I hadn't been you know I was still in a band in Maine and 
um, I was I'm still dating the same girl as I was then, but uh, but she was a big part of it as well. And you know, but I was still very reluctant. Like she would have moved to Massachusetts too, and but right. I had nothing. I had no roots in Massachusetts. I couldn't you know I couldn't get a gig down there. You didn't have a, a safety net. Nothing. Yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. And so. I, well, I came back reluctantly, and within, you know, I don't know, like six, seven, eight months, the band that I was in broke up. And then I really was reluctant to stay. Yeah. You know? But, you know, think everything happens for a reason, I think, sometimes. And I ended up answering a Craigslist ad because I had no band. And I hadn't been playing piano in my last band, so I was just the singer of the band. So I thought, well, you know... Uh, maybe I could play the piano again and whatever, be, do that and see what happens. And so I joined this band off a of Craigslist ad, being just the piano player. And and it was it was a power pop band. It was cool. We played some like jellyfish tunes and some uh, just like different with some Badfinger and different right. stuff like that. It was cool. A different thing for me too because I had grown up so, sort of on like Aerosmith and Zeppelin and Got you. and more just guitar rock. Guitar driven. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it was cool but like one of the people in the band was this guy Kurt Baker who I have now uh, you know we him and I both ended up leaving the band at, after a while and he has his own band he's on Wicked Cool Records as well now and, and uh, we ha- ended up to like touring all over the world and stuff and if you know it's just like you have these little moments where it's like ah, if i hadn't moved back to maine and answered that craigslist ad that day like i might not we not, might not be talking right now uh so it's just a cra- it's a crazy crazy world and and since then before the pandemic you know i was playing like 150 to 200 shows or gigs i guess you could call them really a year here just in right. town and then the thing that's also cool about Maine and Boston in general, the Northeast, anywhere in the Northeast, is that you're pretty close to a lot of other really major cities. Like, yeah, like you can go. We can go to New York in like six to seven hours. We can go. I can go to Boston really easily in one yep. night. Hartford. Uh, we go to Jersey and Philly yep. all the time. So it's really not like a terrible home base to have. I wouldn't mind being a little bit more south. <laughs> Well, as as we're sitting here on a bench, um, uh, feeling the uh, like high forties yeah. today, yeah, I can understand that. You know, that's kind of interesting because it really was kind of a stroke of fate for you to come back. Yeah, yeah. Because if you hadn't, then where you are right now and the stuff that you've been doing, uh, the accolades that you've been getting, uh, the airplay that you've been getting, yeah, for sure, yeah, might not have happened. Yeah, it's, you know, and I had, when I lived in uh, in Salem, I worked at Hertz Rent-A-Car, you know, and in Lynn, actually, is where I worked. Oh. Uh, I started in Salem, but moved to Lynn, the city of Sin. Um, and it was, you know, and actually, I, the manager of the Lynn Hertz was a dude named Brian Griffin, of all names, from Gorham, Maine, you know? And I was like, I, you know, he's from, he's from Gorham, I live in Standish. And like this, they're right next to each other. Yeah. So it was a weird little thing. But when I moved back to Maine, it was like 2008. So the like the housing crisis and everything right. happened. And Hertz laid me off, and I ended up getting uh, unemployment for a little while and all that stuff. And so at that t- moment, I thought, I mean, I'm I'm not. I'm going to just start learning songs every day. And when this unemployment runs up, I'm going to just have gigs. That's hit it hard. That, that's yeah. yeah. And it, of course, I. 
I, I hit it hard. The gigs didn't hit hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had a few gigs where I was getting, like, percentages of the bar gotcha. and stuff. Um, so I'd There's play no guarantee whatsoever. No, yeah. So I'd play for three hours, and I remember the worst I ever left that place with was $13. $13. After. Barely be able to buy yourself a beer and leave a tip. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, but it was such a great time at the same time for me as a musician and as somebody who's just trying to find his way and right. do stuff. Um, eventually, somehow, I got kind of connected with a lot of the dueling piano guys in the Boston area. Right. And so down I went, by Fenway, yeah. Yeah, and I went down to one night to, I was actually just going to check it out, like just to watch the show, meet right. the guy that managed the show and everything at the Lansdowne Pub on Lansdowne Street. And I got there and one of the piano players didn't show up. So it's, you were it. And so the guy was like, hey, man, do you think you could fill in? And I, I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't but do this. I, but I'll, you know, I'll try, I guess. And uh, But I did it, and it was cool. It was good enough, I guess, at the time. And... And I start. I did that like a little bit more, and I've you know I'm still not that great at the dueling piano thing. But even that though, it really helped me out to just get in front of people and to be on the spot because dueling pianos is 100% requests. 100%, yeah. And you just gotta either you either know it or you don't or you fake it till you can't. It just it kind of threw me into the. I got thrown into the fire early on, and I had some people around me who were much more of. Um, you know, mentors than bullies. Okay. And they just kind of helped me, helped me along the, the path. It seems like you're, you know, describing a pattern where for you, it's almost kind of like you're always finding yourself in the position of sink or swim. Yeah. <laughs> and you always end up swimming. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, 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 yeah, for sure. Do you think that you're the type of personality where you have to be pushed really hard? Well, yeah, you could say that a little bit. Um, I always... You know, I think I think that there is a, a huge strength in having limitations gotcha. at times. You know, hard I, deadlines. <clears throat> yeah, and even when it comes to like you know writing an album or something or recording, right. like if you only have a four track tape, you know, thing that you're recording on, you're gonna if you have to make it work, you'll find a way to make it work. But you make you know you learn a lot of stuff in the process of doing it. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of your music that you've done in the past and now with the Dirty Gems. You guys are creating music, not only is it stylistically kind of towards a 70s or that kind of realm throwback, or but it's kind of the the mentality of it too you guys do have a tendency to fly a little bit by the seat of your pants mm -hmm. yeah and you're trying to do a little more feel of it instead of a little more corporate of it yeah yeah we I, you know and i think that you know part of it is the guys in the band everybody i'm still the youngest in the band and now we have you know we've added a few people at, right. with horns and backing singers and so there's like seven or eight people in the band i'm still the youngest somehow by a lot of years and uh Everybody in the band has a ton of experience doing okay. do it like like we all play covers and we're cool playing covers and we don't nobody's ever like de you know down in covers and right. all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, there is a mentality even playing those songs right. where it's like it's got to be like 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 I, I'll learn I can learn a song exactly the way it's on the record. Right. No. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> we're gonna get somebody else coming in the interview here in a second. <laughs> I'm gonna sing. 
Uh, but like you know, we have it's just there. It's every if you if you play covers as many times as we've played covers right. at this point, you know, you've got to always kind of make it fresh and make it something. You want to make new. it your own to a certain extent. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah you don't want to change it so much that Karen in the back of the room is going to get pissed off because she wanted to hear Sticks Renegade and she wanted right. to hear it perfect. Right. And you kind of switch it up a little bit, and she's like, "Nope, nope, I'm out." Yeah. <laughs> but also too, you don't, you have some sort of self-respect as an artist too. You don't want to just like you're you know a parrot and you're actually recreating it word for word, note yeah. for note. Yeah, you know, and like the, I think part of it is that you know I know, and I think most you know my band knows. We there are things like that you have to know, right? That you have to do, and like for me, like I, if you want, I can play piano, man, any right. at any time if you want, or like New York State of Mind or Benny and the Jets or, right. or any of that stuff. Um, but the the thing, but we also pick songs that are not in that wheelhouse that are gonna make us want to be there. A little more challenging. Y- yeah, yeah, and not even that. Sometimes they're easier. Sometimes, like we, uh, one of my, our favorite songs to play, and we play it. Even the the Dirty Gems play them at at when we play. You know, original shows too. Right. It's one of the covers we play. Is "Don't Do It" by the band. Okay. Uh, it's like one of my favorite songs ever, and I don't think a ton of people know it. So it works out kind of well for us like that. Um, we on our new record, we have uh, a version of "Take Me to the Pilot" by Elton John, and I just think that you know hits are hits, and everybody's gonna want to hear hits. But there's a lot of songs out there that should have or could have been hits, that, but weren't. But weren't. There were B sides. Yeah, and and some of that stuff is is one really fun to play but two it's like some of the best music ever out there you know like don't do it was written by marvin gay and the who covered it and then eventually the band did it and the the version of it is the band version of it but uh once you realize that the band didn't write it and they they covered it and theirs is so swampy and kind of you know and you get bands that become super famous because their first song was a cover look at the black crows yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. The yeah. Stones. Yeah. Like, I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, I don't think there's anything negative about that. I mean, if you're trying to do a tribute, maybe that's something that some people might consider a negative. Yeah. Um, especially if you aren't saying we're just a tribute band. But also, too, you're saying, you know what? Look, you know, we appreciate something that was done before us and we're pulling from that. And obviously your music and pretty much everybody you played with for the most part, has appreciated that fact that you're literally trying to pull influences from other realms, other people, other decades, yeah. and actually saying, look, we're not trying to recreate this, and we're not trying to be you know, crass about it, but we're just literally trying to say, this influenced our lives, and this is what's making our music this way. Yeah, now. for sure, for sure. Yeah, we, you know... And maybe it's the fact that it's really hard. Like, it's hard for me to listen to new music still, you know, after, after I don't know what age it hit me on. But um, I still, I'm of, the, I'm of the mindset there's so much music I still haven't heard of course. from, you know, 20, 30 years ago uh, that I just think is probably better. Uh, you know, and that's an interesting point because a lot of people are saying, you know what, music in the 70s, were, you know, especially when you look at classic rock. Yeah. Okay. If you go into the 80s and you start looking at pop, kind of the same realm, but... You know, if you look at classic rock out of the 70s, people are like, you know what? Music was just so much better then. Like, well, was it really better or was it just the right time, the right place? Uh, What was going on in the world? I mean, obviously, because of the pandemic and we have, you know, social unrest and, you know, political things that are going on over the last four years and so on and so forth. But are we poised?
least at this point right now where we're going to have bands make that much of a cultural impact on music yeah. as they did coming out of the 60s into the 70s. I think you and you know the Dirty Gems, I think you guys are in the right spot at the right time right now where you guys could literally say, we're going to hone in on that yeah. and literally say, this is our time to shine. This is our time to say something and come to the show. Yeah, it's it's a I do I agree with that. It's I think that the seventy there's a lot of things involved in all that right. s- that stuff, you know. And I think even at like a basic level, like my own opinion is that there's like not a you can't find a better drum sound than the 1970s drum sounds. Like <laughs> like you know I, even that could be a little part of it, you right. know. Like like as much as I've overheard uh, just agnosium uh, Fleetwood Mac. Like right. their drums just sound, that's what everybody wants as right. a, for a drum sound, you know? And it, the 70s has a lot of that. In the 80s, it's, it got to be more technological and... and uh, more computers at that point. Totally, yeah. yeah. And we're kind of back on this sort of like half and half now yeah. sort of thing. Which we're is kind cool. of bridging both worlds at this point. Which is cool. Yeah, and I, like, I love the 80s too. Um, but like my whole life has always been, 70s has always been like the era for me uh, and like all like the guitar bands I love like Aerosmith and uh, Zeppelin and even going to more kind of commercial pop bands or rock bands I should say like Bad Company Bad Company or uh, you know anything like that all from the 70s you know and I love the 60s Jay Giles oh yeah yeah Yeah. for sure yeah Ain't Nothing But Party like all that kind of stuff and and I think that even the cover bands I play with we're always trying to capture that 70s magic where like it might just be that we're in a living room playing at a party or something right. and every and, and it's just, it's a house party you know just like Jake Isles and I don't know something about that magic and that vibe and stuff in the 60s is in a similar way but I just right. but the, yeah I don't know what it is about like that kind of 20-year era here's a question I was kind of I was thinking about this earlier today if you have this kind of duality of your life about as an artist you're playing in a group that's playing covers at say Portland Lobster Company mm. or you're playing with the Dirty Gems and you're playing here in a venue in, in the Portland area or New England area one you're playing covers and primarily you're just playing to people that are there just to eat seafood have a good time and listen to stuff that they're familiar with totally and then you have other people that are showing up to hear your original stuff do you ever kind of lose track of where you are, which show you're playing, where yeah. you... Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I can definitely get my... This is just for me. I don't think this happens to anybody else in my band, but except for me. But I, I can get into autopilot a little okay. bit. Um, especially in the in Portland, playing cover gigs a lot. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll become my own, like, fly on the wall <laughs> sometimes. Uh, and I'll forget kind of, you know... Because when you look out and nobody's looking back... You know, or as like, long as you don't have the iPad up on the on yeah. the mic stand, so you can actually read the lyrics, you <laughs> yeah. actually know them. So yeah. Well, I well I will I do have an iPad for requests. Like I'll I'll try I will try anything. Like I'll try anything. I don't because that's the dueling piano guy in me now. Right. Exactly. That, like I have an iPad full of stuff that in case somebody like in does case it, somebody says pull I, something out of nowhere and you're like I could probably uh, I don't know that one probably pull it off if I had like you know it's. All songs that we that you that we've all heard a million times that you right. could kind of sing in the car that kind of vibe song, where if you, if if anybody had the lyric they could do it. That's, right. that's like what I'm going for with that. But um, like Escape, the Pina Colada song is a good example of that. <laughs> <laughs> like I refuse to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> but I will do it if I have to. <laughs> so let's talk about this. You have a new album coming out on July 23rd. Yes. 
Still dirty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where does this music come from? Is yeah. it just the influences that we just talked about? Yeah, it's or all it? of it. Yeah, it's all of it. And we, and you know, we. I don't know how other bands work, but a lot of times uh, in the Dirty Gems, when we're sitting around thinking about songs to write and stuff, right. we we do think about songs in terms of other songs, in terms of okay. references. So like sometimes we might say like, oh, I want to write a song like that, like right. whatever song. And of course, it never comes out like that. It's your ends up being your own thing. <clears throat> but we take, you know, we have like one of my favorite songs on our new album is called Tortuga, which is Spanish for turtle. You had like a couple songs in this album that basically kind of went all over the place. Like you couldn't really pin this album down just because of a bunch of songs on yeah. there. Like you, you literally <laughs> threw a you know like the left turn hard on people that were listening to this or you know they're gonna be like what the hell are they doing yeah no yeah and like that for you know for us it was it it never even seemed like a thing really you just played whatever felt good yeah and and we do we kind of have like at least with this record we have a lot of uh everybody in the band contributed writing wise which is a new thing for us. right because primarily it had always been you right yeah and everybody and and the same people were in the band but it was just kind of more treated more as like a session okay uh, as opposed to like a writing thing got you um and this time all the same people but we all we all our bartender's here. Um, could you get me another one, please? I would love nothing more. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, yeah, but so, like, we, you know, we were all in the room together, writing together, and, uh, like, there we have, I, I call it, I'm, I'm personally calling it, like, a Van Halen song that we have okay. on the record. Uh, just because I, I don't know how to, how to verbalize it or whatever. Okay. <clears throat> and that Tom, our guitar player, brought that. You know, to the band, and like we were talking before, I used like Van Halen, Zeppelin, like Aerosmith, all the guitar bands. Uh, like my first band I was ever in, I purposely didn't play piano in it because I said I I thought that rock and roll bands didn't have piano. In that it. wasn't cool. It wasn't, yeah. And so you know, I I couldn't help but just like I love that stuff. So we were at we got to have that on the record. Uh, Tortuga is like a bossa nova Latin sort of thing, and that. You know, I'm a big fan of Spain. I love go- to go to Spain. Okay. Uh, I love to tour in Spain and the Spanish people. And um, it's kind of like a, a homage to them a little bit. But There's a lot more passion to it. Yeah, yeah. And and like that song, for example, there is a train station in Madrid called a Tocha station. And they had like a legit infestation of turtles. <laughs> and so... <laughs> so <laughs> And so uh, they did get rid of them somehow, but like this, this song is basically about a turtle that escapes a Tocha station and like kind of goes and parties on the beach and stuff and like Perfect. does all this stuff. But you know, it's all inside jokes kind of stuff that we like spring stuff out of, and uh, you know, uh, we just like sometimes decide what we're gonna do and then do it. It seems like you're not really trying to make this three chords in a dream blatantly in your face kind of ACDC kind of stuff. You're trying to have this be a way more cerebral and still have it be musically fun for people to get along with. Yeah, and you know, I think I think a big part of that is just putting, um, there's a lot of spontaneity in the record and there's a lot of what I think a lot of people would call mistakes. Okay. On on uh, on all my records, to be honest, uh, that end up making it because it sounds really cool when you do it by accident right. or whatever. <laughs> Happy little accidents. Yeah, and and the, you know, it's just it's like a you know, it's a living, breathing thing, and it's constantly evolving. Very and, organic. 
Yeah, and we d- we just don't try to push anything too hard. Like uh, we like just for example, uh, one of the songs on the record is called "She Likes to Party." It's the first song we've already released it as a right. single. And as stuff. a single, yeah. That was originally Tortuga, and it was gonna be the same. Like we and we ended up having to switch it all around just because it right. wasn't flowing the way we thought it would. And uh, you know, you just can't force it. You know, it's it really it just dawning on me right now. It's like you go to an organized music school like Berkeley, you know, world-renowned, everybody goes there. And Berkeley actually is known as being a jazz school. Yeah. So, which is extremely happen chance in, the, in like all over the place. But you go to an organized learning institution for music or performance or engineering or any of that stuff, and you go there, what you're doing in reality off of that learning institution is completely happen chance. It's literally, you're just like, you know what, screw it. Just let's do whatever whatever comes to us, and it seems like that's working so much better for you than maybe if you had went the hard nose line kind of thing. Yeah, I think you know I and I I learned a lot when I was there for sure. Like I went into music school not knowing my scales, you know. Right. I didn't know really anything. Right. Um, Technically, you learned a lot. Right, and and you know like and I still I still I feel like I do use it the stuff I did learn there more as I'm getting older than I right. than I did when I first came out. Something I noticed after maybe the first year or so of playing full time as a musician was I learned so much more actually just going out and playing and and you know part of it is like playing with people who are better than you and playing just a challenge. With, yeah, and just with other people in general cuz you can learn so much from playing with other people. But yeah, like uh I'm not sure with everybody that has just joined the band what their what their past is as far as music school goes, but like Craig went to Berkeley too. Tom right. went to uh, UMaine Farmington for music, you. so he's more classically uh, right. trained from Farmington. And then we have Ryan in the band who has no musical training whatsoever. Really, he, he just he, naturally he, talented. You know, well, he yeah, he's been a full time musician for like. Uh, 15 years 20 years almost something like that and his his uh grandfather was in the wrecking crew uh there you go played trombone in the wrecking crew uh so and i think that we actually got his trombone on the record on our record <laughs> nice <laughs> that was a goal we tried to get because nice. uh we have uh jamie coldpoise played trombone on our record and i think she nice. played his trump i think one of the songs she played his trombone but uh anyway so it's just you know we all come from different places you know and uh like i was i never craig and craig's like 10 years older than me i never saw him at Berkeley we right. don't know each we didn't know each other uh, and you know this none of us bring any more or less than any of the other That's uh, awesome. anybody else you know in the band uh, we all have like certain perspectives and stuff but the one thing that like for me at Berkeley man like I I really didn't fit in all that well <laughs> <laughs> when I was there, uh, I was always coming home every weekend to play with my band. Oh yeah, you definitely didn't fit in at that point. I'm, They're like, no, you need to stay here. You need to be part of the cult. Yeah, like I, I, I have, um, you know, friends that I lived on like the same floor with. Right. Uh, that I still keep in touch with, but I don't. I couldn't name one person I ever had a class with. Um, you know, it's just like. It, I, and I never, in all the Berkeley bands I've ever played with, too, have always kind of, like, rubbed me the wrong way a little bit when... when. Uh, well, I mean, in general, you know, organized educational institutions like that can sometimes come across as a little off-putting. Yeah. Like, if you come from more basic terms and they come yeah. there, you're like, eh, I'm not really part of that group. No, yeah. And, I, you know, and if you're, you know, if you're going there and you're looking to be, like, a jazz 
player or something like right. that. It's perfect. Right. It's really great. Um, and there are a lot of guitar players that go to Berkeley that are super into like Zappa. And, right. you know, and I, I love Zappa. I think he's amazing. Right. But they do kind of look down a little bit on like, you know, the classic rock stuff and all. And, and uh, not necessarily like a lot of the stuff from the 60s, like Motown is really right. celebrated there. But right. um, as, as it should be. But if it's, uh, you know, cock rock kind of 70s, guitar oh, yeah. driven, you know, big hair, all that shit. They don't really think no, that that's. No. I mean, you're not like analyzing yes tunes. You know, as but you right. could. Right. I took a classic rock guitar class um, as an elective at Berkeley. Elective and, too. And it, That's yeah, the awesome part it, about it, it. It was cool. It was like my senior year, and uh, the class was every uh, twice a week, whatever it was, like for two hours. I would right. go and watch a uh, behind the music, basically. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> like, Amazing. <laughs> it was like the first day of class was like Pink Floyd behind the music. I'm, I'm like, sure. Oh, you know what, great. people? I'm sure that there's actually, you know, better, better stuff going on right now at Berkeley. I, I did want to ask you, okay, so you guys are signed to a label called Wicked Cool Records, but uh, the gentleman that actually um, runs this label is fairly well known. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and he took a liking to you early on. He explained to everybody listening who this person is that, that runs this record label. Well, it's little Steven, or Steven Van Zandt, um, or Silvio. I know a lot of people know him from Sopranos and stuff. I've, I've still never really watched Sopranos. One of these days I'll get to it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, he and- plays in a band. He plays in a band. Yeah, right. He's he is a member of the E Street Band, Bruce Springsteen's band, um, and he's worked with a ton of like Jersey acts too, like right. Southside Johnny and and the like. Uh, I don't, you know, it, it it's all luck. It's like right place, right time. All all that kind of stuff is true. He's got a show on Sirius. He's yeah. He has a radio station. Yeah, thank you. I have like I have no idea. <laughs> has a show he, on Sirius. Yeah, under, a, underground garage, right? And he took a huge liking to you and the music that you make. Yeah, and it's kind of a cool story. I played in a band called The Connection, who is from, well, they're from New Hampshire, Portsmouth kind of area. Right. And just so happened that one of the songs that they sent the station, I had played the piano solo on. Right. And they ended up picking it to feature it. They do this thing called Coolest Song in the World on right. the station. So they they pictured or they featured this song or whatever. And it's like uh, even now it's like it's kind of a ripping piano solo. Like I can't I can't do it like on uh, like on command, you know. You like have to I, prep. I need like a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it took multiple takes in the studio, and maybe even like spliced together takes to get it done or whatever. It's like I got like a lot of ragtime right. sort of stuff in it. And that was my kind of initial in with them. And eventually, I started. Uh, I played in the Kurt Baker band, and they play. They started playing Kurt's music as well after right. that. Uh, and believe it or not, man, like I started playing in a uh, fantasy basketball league <laughs> with Dennis. Because you're a huge Celtics fan. Yeah, like, I heard this about you, that you're a huge Celtics fan. Yeah, like massive. Yeah, like la- I watched, there was a game last night. I had all my stuff on. I had like a hat. I got my, my, my dad, he's, he's, uh, he's passed away a few years ago, but he left me this awesome corduroy green Celtics hat that I wear oh, you're all, a diehard. all the time. It's from like the 86, you know. You're diehard. Uh, I got Tatum's jersey and a jacket. I got all the stuff. Wear it in my living room by myself. Uh, but yeah, and like so me and, and Dennis is like a huge sports fan. Dennis right. likes soccer a lot too and I like I'm a big soccer fan too. So we started kind of chatting and stuff and being in this fantasy league together. Right. 
And then I want to say it was a year after that or a couple years after that that I put out my first kind of record headlines. Solo album, right? Yeah. And come to find out, knowing those guys personally is a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, anything to do with Bruce is kind of like the... It's not really the the code to get in through the door. It's literally like the boot to kick the door open kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I mean, in, you know, working now, and I've met Stephen, you know, a few times at this point or whatever, and working with him has been like, he is the kind of guy that you need and want to be talking to you about stuff. Like of all, course. all the, you know, the same, uh, the same mentorship stuff that I had here in Portland with bands I played with, I right. now have that with him. And like that's I have, huge. That's I have like huge, a, though. Yeah, and like I have like a whole folder on my Dropbox of voice memos from from Stephen Van Zandt. You're gonna keep, you're gonna keep them like, just in case, like playing just, my tunes like with this acoustic. And you're like, gonna you're gonna yeah. keep those in case the bottom falls out of it, and you're gonna go. You need to hear this stuff that I used to do in way case, back. Yeah, <laughs> in case I ever need to prove it to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that one-up-you moment kind of going, we were talking earlier about off-mic. The weird thing about living in New England is that people are super harsh here, no matter how good of friends they are. Oh, yeah. If you think you're all that, they're like, no, you're not. Yeah. and Unless and, you're doing this. Right. No, that's, yeah, that's true. It's and, like, well, no, I know this guy. And no, even, you don't. And even well, then, do. they don't believe it. Yeah. No. and like and, They have to be proven. And, you know, I, I think, too, like Wicked Cool Records... Um, if you're from Maine, it sounds is it so sounds awesome. About, it dude. sounds it sounds kind of local. It really bit. does. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, and even like if I'm down in New York or talking with Dennis or Stephen or whoever it is, I always accidentally say "wicked cool" because it's in my vocabulary right. for real. Right. It's not like a label to me. It's like right. you know, oh, that's wicked cool. Oh, I dude, say that's that. w- it's wicked cool. <laughs> it's wicked hot. I was wicked cold. I say it. Everything is wicked something. Right. Uh, so I have to catch myself a little bit because I feel kind of brown nosy a little bit when. <laughs> <laughs> when, <laughs> when I when it's the, like you kind of get to that point like, do I feel like I just ask kissed right now or what? what? What's going on? I'm just being real, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing because it really does seem like, and this is going to sound definitely a cliche saying, but you really, you fell on a pile of shit and you came out smelling like a rose yeah. big time, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. You really bit, did. Yeah. I mean, you, you are living a gifted life at this point. Yeah, I'm very, you know, I do feel, it's one of those things where you can look back, and I'm sure you have a similar experience, where you look back and there's all these little steps of the way where you think, wow, if that didn't happen, right? you know, this other thing wouldn't have happened and, uh, and all this kind of stuff or whatever. But, you know, I've had all the bands I've played with um, have been really supportive of me in general. That's like, awesome. Um, you know, I, for a little while I was playing with like one of the biggest country bands in in Maine. Um, this guy Don Campbell, who's a great guy, and and uh, he brought me all over America playing tunes and stuff. And uh, you know, expected a certain level of expertise and excellence of course. and professionalism. Prof- professionalism. Yeah. Um, that was you know a very good thing for me to learn and to to you know know how to handle myself and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and all those little things, like along the way, like I, like in like Kurt Baker band, you know, when we went on tour, we always played one of my songs. Looking forward, what's the next step for you? Take over the world. No, <laughs> I no, I think that we're gonna. I mean, we really want to get back to touring. That's that's the biggest. Yeah, we're thing. all hoping. Uh, that's our that's our biggest thing. The band loves touring. We like really love being on the road. We're yeah. good. All the people in the band are really great on the road. We like to, in which really amounts to you don't mind sleeping in rough spots and but you love to eat. 
I can tell you right now, a Love's truck stop is the best thing ever at <laughs> yeah, 3 o'clock yeah. in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's got a shower. It's got a cafe. Uh, you can buy some really weird trucker stuff. Like if you oh, want a you know, half-naked girl for your mud flap on oh, your truck, yeah, you're totally. golden. You can get like the, the uh, those cool like wolf t-shirts. Yes. <laughs> Tie-dye, like wolf on the, on the cliff t-shirts like the ecuadorian pullover <laughs> yeah. poncho kind of thing you yeah. can totally get one of those yeah you can definitely get like an ipad you can if you get a taquito or... over there spinning on the rack with the, oh, like yeah, the sausages for, it's been there for 71 hours you're like you're you're get it right before they're going to switch over to the next one but if i mean if you're in but if you it really is that though i think if you're if you like to eat different food and try different things and do all that stuff and you don't mind, um, you know, you get hotels sometimes. Yes. And it's, and it's very nice sometimes. But every once in a while, like I have a camping cot that yeah. I use that I that I bought at Walmart for 40 bucks like 10 years ago. That's my tried and true cot. It's awesome. Been, it's been squatted in a lot of living rooms and stuff and, <laughs> and uh, back rooms and garages or whatever. Uh, I've slept in... Uh, Above, in an attic above a garage, like all, I, I can know, appreciate that. All sorts of places, uh, teen centers, like community centers, like in the middle in the middle of the winter with no heat. Or learning how to sleep sitting up in a fifteen passenger Econoline. <clears throat> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Or yeah. Exactly. And being, you know, we've left. Uh, I remember one time we left at one a.m. to go to Chicago. Like, who does that? Why would Why would we ever have decided? No to normal do that? person in their right mind would ever do stuff like that. But we're like, wow, that would save us a night on a hotel, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know. And awesome. we all we all showed up in Chicago at like three p.m. the next day, dizzy. You know, we couldn't. You know, I remember just be, my ears were uh, clogged up because I had headphones on, of course. So like the, going through like PA and the mountains and oh. PA got all like equilibrium was off and all that stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know when you're here in Portland, you're literally ten feet above sea level. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you actually yeah. go some places actually you know has some sort of a mountain whatsoever. You're like, oh god, this is weird. Why'd my ears pop? Yeah. Yeah. And if in it in I don't think a lot of people realize this, but if you're wearing headphones when you when you go through those places your ears won't pop and you'll you'll get like a, a ear explosion like six hours later when it finally like kicks in you know like i mean and, and you know it because you can't hear anything you're exactly like, it sounds like you're underwater kind of exactly uh but you know but i you know that's honestly my favorite part of being a musician and being an artist is traveling around and doing just stuff. getting to see places yeah I, I mean i you know like when i was in high school i took spanish class and i remember thinking like man this is so stupid like i'm never you're gonna never going to use it use this you know and i've been to spain like seven times or something like that now yeah. and i love that place it's my favorite country yeah. in the world now thank god you took that class yeah exa- yeah exactly yeah well i don't know but i, th- I might have been in the same spot i am now i don't know <laughs> I don't know. It was a lot of years in between. <laughs> Chris, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. It's awesome. Thanks for having me, man. It's been great. The Liquid Conversations podcast is brought to you by Dirtbag Clothing. Wear it till it stinks. <laughs>